Well, welcome. My name is Chandler. If I haven't met you, I am one of the pastors on staff here, and I get to hang out with the young adults and the college students. And speaking of, we have a lunch after service. So if you're 18 to 30, there is free food over that way right after service. And all the college students said, amen. <laughs> free food to college students is an answered prayer. But I'm Chandler, and I'm excited because we're in this series, Jesus Is. The message today, Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, if I ask the question, do you know what chat GPT is? How many people could raise your hand and say yes? All my young adults. Okay. How many of you are shaking your head like I have no chat what? PGT? Chat GPT. Okay. If you don't know, it is an AI chatbot that was launched in November of last year. So it's very, very new. It's an advanced AI language processor that you can type in words to and you can converse. And as you're talking to it, it not only remembers what you're saying, but it learns. It's like really cool and really terrifying. If you still are not tracking with me, it's like Siri. How many of you have Siri on your phone? If you don't have an iPhone, I, I don't know what to tell you. If you have Siri, it's like Siri if Siri actually listens to you. I know I'm not the only one, right? Like, hey Siri, set a timer for 10 minutes. And it's like Googling the average lifespan of mountain goats. And you're like, what, right? It's like if you had Siri, but it actually listens to your conversation. So where am I going with this? Why am I talking to you about ChatGPT? We're in a series called Jesus Is. So I thought it would be interesting to log on and ask ChatGPT the question, who is Jesus? So I did that. This week, I logged on and I introduced myself. I've never done one of these things, so I didn't know the appropriate way to converse. So I said, hi, I'm Chandler. And I felt kind of weird. And it responded. And I said, can you please tell me who Jesus is? Very innocent. I didn't give anything away. I didn't say I work for church. Can you please tell me who Jesus is? And I was shocked because it did a really good job of telling me who Jesus is. It told me about who the historical Jesus is. It told me about who Jesus is according to different religions. It could even tell me who Jesus is according to different denominations within the Christian church. But it became clear to me very quickly that ChatGPT was not yet saved by some of its answers. I talked to it for 45 minutes, and there were moments where I felt like I was this close to introducing it to Jesus, but didn't quite get there. Before you send me emails about my bad theology, just know I will reply to your email with ChatGPT. <laughs> but it was really good at answering the question, who is Jesus? But then I took it a step further, and I said, who is Jesus to you? Who knows that it had no answer for that. This is what it said. I quote, as an AI language model, I don't have the capacity to hold personal beliefs or opinions. It could not give me an answer, which of course is no surprise because it's a computer. It doesn't have emotions or a soul. But it could tell me who Jesus is, but it couldn't tell me who is Jesus to you. In the Bible, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is with his disciples, and he asks them essentially those same two questions. Starting in verse 13, says Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's asking, who's Jesus? But he's talking about himself. And they reply and say, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, 
Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That was the right information. This is the information about who people say you are, Jesus. And by the way, Jews today, they still believe that Jesus was a prophet. Not God, just, a, just another good man, just another one of the prophets. They say, Jesus, that's who people are saying you are. And then Jesus flips the script on them. And in verse 15, he says this, But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Can I tell you, that is a fundamentally different question than who is Jesus. When you add in the subject of you, it now becomes personal. This is no longer a question about information. This is a question about belief. So he asks, who am I to you? And Peter replies in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I have a feeling if I were to go around the room this morning and pass the mic to each of you and ask you the question, who is Jesus? Probably many of you in this room would be able to tell me who Jesus is, where he was born, maybe his family's names. Maybe you could tell me, if I were to pass the mic, information about Jesus' ministry or miracles, maybe even his death. But I wonder if I were to go around the room and ask each of you, who is Jesus to you? What would you say? Would you have an answer? Because that question requires a relationship. Last night, I literally, after Saturday night service, was like tears in my eyes because four people came up to me and told me who Jesus was to them. I didn't ask them. One of them was an elderly man, and he came up to me and he said, if you were to ask me that question when I was younger, who is Jesus to you, I would have said a cuss word. Literally, my relationship with Jesus was I used his name as a swear word. But then I hit rock bottom and I encountered him for real and he broke the chains of addiction to alcohol off of my life and can I tell you who Jesus is to me he's freedom Jesus saved me and he is my everything that was this man's answer and I'm just sitting there with tears in my eyes going this is who Jesus is to you who is he to you how would you answer that question the first time I could answer that question for real was when I was five years old, super young. That's why children's ministry is super important. I was with my mom, and we prayed the prayer, and I asked Jesus into my life, and I knew what I was doing, and for the first time at five years old, I had an answer to the question, who is Jesus to you? I knew it. What would you say? Friends, wherever you're at this morning, whether you're online or in the room, this is the most important question you will ever have to answer in your entire life. Literally, eternity hangs in the balance of your answer. Do you know Jesus like Peter as your Messiah? Who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. He gets it. But it's kind of ironic, at least I think so. If I were in that room with no knowledge of what's going to happen in the story, and Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? I probably would have looked at the 12, and I would not have picked Peter to give the right answer. Because Peter is always messing up things like this. He's always giving the wrong answers to these questions. He's always doing the wrong things in these situations. There's a time in John chapter 13 where Jesus comes into a house with his disciples, and he says, take off your sandals. I'm going to wash your feet. 
And he's trying to teach them how to serve like him. And Peter freaks out. I'm a sinful man. You're not going to wash my feet. I don't deserve it. And Jesus says, Pete, if I don't wash your feet, you've got no part of me. And then Pete does a 180. Well, then wash my whole body then. Like, wash all of me. And I think Jesus was like, that's weird, Pete. I just want to wash your feet. There's another time in Matthew 17 where Jesus and Peter and two of his disciples go up on a mountain. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. Because Jesus on this mountain was transfigured. His face began to shine with the glory of God. And then all of a sudden appear Moses and Elijah. And Peter, because he's Peter, has to fill the silence with his voice. And so he says, Jesus, it's good that we're here, like me and the disciples. Um, Here's what we can do. If you want, we can build tents and we can just like live up here. And the scripture literally says, this is so funny. That God in heaven interrupts and says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. You know it's bad when God the Father in heaven has to tell you to shut up. This is Peter. One more story. There's a moment when Jesus is with his disciples in the garden and Roman soldiers are coming. It's Gethsemane coming to arrest Jesus. This was the beginning of the road to the cross. And Peter, in this moment, he's got a sword strapped on his side, which is funny because he knew Jesus' teaching. If somebody slaps you in the cheek, what are you to do? Don't respond with violence. Like, let them slap the other cheek, right? Show them you're the bigger person. If someone makes you walk one mile, walk another mile with them. And yet, in this moment, Roman soldiers advancing, and Peter takes out his little sword, cuts off the guy's ear. I think that's funny because you think he was swinging for his ear? I don't think so. I think he was going for the headshot, and he just missed, and Jesus picks up the dude's ear, and he's like, Pete, like, you're really bad with the sword, man. What are you doing? And he puts the guy's ear back on. Pete is always messing these things up, and yet in this moment, who do you say that I am? Pete has the right answer, and he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And in verse 17, Jesus says, Pete, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I think he's saying, there's no way you figured that out on your own. Like, praise God, that was a miracle. (laughs) But the reality is that this did not just occur to Peter. Peter has been living this journey. He's been discovering the answer to the question, who's Jesus to you? Uh, Let me take you back to the beginning. Do you remember where Peter first met Jesus? He was in a boat. He was in a fishing boat because he was a fisherman. His dad was a fisherman. And they had been fishing all night and caught nothing. And then this preacher gets in the boat and says, oh, it's easy, just cast your net on the other side. And Pete's probably like, dude, you stick to preaching, I'll stick to fishing. But for some reason he does it, and the net fills up with so many fish that the boat begins to sink, the Bible says. I think if I'm having flashbacks, if I'm Peter and Jesus asks me, who do you say that I am? I think I would be like, God, Jesus, do you remember, like, I mean, I've been fishing for a long time, and my dad and his business, and we hear a lot of these stories about how I caught the fish this big, and we never believe it, but I've never heard a story where somebody said, so many fish came in the boat that it started to sink. Jesus, that never happened till I met you. And, and Jesus, I, I'm a Jew, and so I, I grew up going to the temple, and I've been to so many services and heard so many preachings, and yet, Jesus, I've never heard anyone preach like you. You preach with 
power and authority, not like our religious leaders. And then there was that one time, Jesus, where you were preaching, and no offense, but you preached for so long that everybody got hungry, and we're like, what do we do? Jesus, you remember you fed the whole crowd with one meal. That was so cool. I've never seen anybody do that until I met you. And Jesus, you remember that one time my mother-in-law got sick, and it wasn't serious. She had a fever, but you still cared. And you came over to the house, and you healed her. I've never seen anybody do that before I met you. I think that's a word for somebody this morning. You might not have cancer in your body this morning. You might not be on the edge of divorce. You might not have a foreclosure letter sitting on your counter about to lose your house. You might just have persistent headaches. You might just have tension with your new in-laws. You might just have a paycheck coming in that's not quite going to meet the next month's bills. Can I tell you? Jesus cares about it. He loves you, and he sees you, and he wants you to bring those things to him so that he can work in your situation. Peter might say, I've never seen anybody care like that, Jesus. And do you remember when we were in that boat, and the storm was whipping, and we were about to sink, and we were about to die, and then you spoke, and the wind and the waves obeyed you? I I remember talking to the disciples and saying, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey? And then we didn't know, but now I know you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Simon in verse 18, and he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He turns to Simon, and he says, you're Peter. That word is the word petros. It literally means rock. Like before Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Peter was the OG rock. Jesus named him it. He's got it. He says, you are the rock, and on this rock, I'll build my church. Can I tell you, God is still in the business of building his church, and he's still in the business of using people to do it. And the problem with that is that people mess it up all the time. Peter, literally 10 chapters later, he denies Jesus to a servant girl. He denies him three times. This is Peter the Rock. This is the one that Jesus is going to build his church on? Really? Like, are you sure this is the guy? Do not be surprised when people fail you. And by the way, that includes pastors. Because God is in the business of using broken people. It was true back then, and it's true today. Yet, unlike people, Jesus is the one who will never hurt you. I don't know what your story is in church. Maybe you've got church hurt. You've got things that you've dealt with and they've deeply wounded you. Can I tell you, friend, that was not Jesus. That was people. Maybe you've had people walk out on you who said they were Christians and then they left you. Can I tell you, Jesus is not like that. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He'll never fail you. The good news is that unlike people who mess it up, Jesus never will. He's a firm foundation. He's a cornerstone for us to stand on. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 says these words, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, the church has never been built only on a person. If it was, we'd all be in trouble. 
But the church has always been built on the person of Jesus Christ. I think that deserves an amen this morning. So earlier this month, I had the privilege to do something I've never done before. I was asked to preach for a youth conference in Alaska. And so I flew out to Alaska, and before that, I was praying, God, what do you want me to preach for this thing? I got to preach four messages in three days. That's a lot. What do you want me to preach? And I was praying, and there's kind of one word in my spirit, and it was this word, unshakable. I said, okay, God, that's cool. Like, we can, like, I can, we can work with that. That's awesome. And I felt that I was supposed to encourage the students that even if their world is shaken up, if they're standing on the firm foundation that is Jesus, they can have a life that isn't. They can have a faith that is unshakable. And so to illustrate this, the first session I brought on stage a Jenga set. And when a Jenga set starts, it's a firm tower, you know, it's not easy to knock down. But then as life goes on, things happen. Maybe a loved one dies and I took out a brick. Maybe a parent leaves you, or they get divorced. Maybe you get injured or a car accident. And I kept taking out bricks, and at the end, we're left with this skeleton Jenga tower, and it's really fragile. And I said, you know, the thing is, we can be at a point where we feel like if one more thing happens, our whole life is going to fall apart. But I introduced it, and I said, but the truth is that if you stand on Jesus, you can have a life and a faith that is unshakable. And the crazy thing is, well, I was in Alaska. My wife, Allison, was going to Wisconsin. Her and her team were putting on a revival event for some of our pastors there. She happened to be in the car with some of the guest speakers driving from Michigan to Wisconsin. And one of the pastors is, or one of the guest speakers, he's a pastor named Chase. He's a pastor of one of our churches in Detroit. And Pastor Chase was telling Allison, I preached this message on Sunday And like in all my years of pastoring, I'd never done this before. I felt like the Lord gave me this message. And so I brought this Jenga set up on stage and I called my message, Jesus isn't Jenga. Isn't that so cool? And Allison's like, um, when was that? Like that was Sunday. Yep. Okay. Do you know my husband is in Alaska right now and tonight he's preaching a message using a Jenga set about how God's not like that and we can have our feet on a firm foundation? Man, God's so cool. It's almost like it's his church that we're standing on. The firm foundation that's Jesus. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is speaking things to his churches. And so when me and Allison were back, I got to meet Pastor Chase, and we just instantly gave each other a big hug. And I said, dude, like, how long you been pastoring? And it was decades. And I said, have you ever used a Jenga set in your message? And he said, never. And he turned to me, and he said, have you ever used a Jenga set in your message? And I said, never. It was so cool. Holy Spirit is moving, and yet I love his message. Jesus is in Jenga. Jesus isn't like people, friends. He will not fail you. He's not shaky. Yet if you build your faith on a pastor, you are bound to be disappointed. I'm not saying don't trust a pastor. I'm just saying don't root your faith on people. If you build your faith on Jesus, though, the cornerstone, your life will never be Shaken. This is why it's so important to know who Jesus is to you. Peter answers that question, who do you say I am? And he says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. 
And Pete begins doing that. He goes out building the church, and one day, back to where we started, they see this lame man, and they say, get up in the name of Jesus, and he stands up, and his legs are strengthened, and he's jumping around, and now all of the people who had seen him for all of those years ask the question, he's been lame for his whole life. How did this happen? And now overnight, Peter is a celebrity. And so Peter needs to make it very clear that this is not about him. He needs to make it super clear that he is not the foundation. So he says, it's by the name of Jesus Christ that he was healed. There's no other name by which salvation is found. He wasn't healed in the name of Peter. He's healed in the name of Jesus. And he turns to the religious leaders as they're questioning him. And he says to them, Jesus is, verse 11. I love that because that's the title of the series we're in. Here's who Jesus is. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? I am really glad you asked this morning. I'm glad you're such a curious bunch. Here's what a cornerstone is. Back in the days of building and construction before rebar or steel beams, they used these large stones like the one in the picture called a cornerstone. They would use this to build the foundation of the building so that the building would be in alignment and it would be sturdy. This cornerstone would be the biggest and the most expensive stone in the foundation. It was expensive because they would have to have a professional stonemason take a high-quality stone and cut it to precise measurements so it was perfectly straight. It had to be perfectly straight because it was the first stone that would be laid in the foundation. And then after that, every other stone would be laid in alignment with the cornerstone. So if it was a little bit off, all the other stones would be off. It had to be of the highest quality because if there were any cracks in it, it might compromise the integrity of the building as it was being built on top of it. This is what Peter's saying to the religious leaders. You see, if the builders received a cornerstone and they noticed that it had cracks in it, they would reject the cornerstone. They wouldn't start the foundation with a stone with cracks in it because it might crumble. If they noticed that the cuts were slightly off, they would reject the cornerstone. And Peter's saying to the religious leaders, Jesus is that stone. He stood in front of you. He healed people. He did miracles. He preached, and you rejected him. Which is ironic because he's the only one who's pure enough, who's strong enough to actually hold the weight of the church. Yet you rejected him. He's the only one without sin, the only one straight enough for us to align our lives to him, and yet you chose to continue aligning your lives with the law like you could somehow live righteously in your own strength? Saying you had the cornerstone in front of you and you rejected him. Isn't this a bold thing to say? He says, Jesus is that cornerstone. You had him. Yet you continue trying to build your life on your own strength. Can I ask this morning, if you are honest, what are you building your life on? Are you building on Jesus? Or are you building your life on your own strength? The truth is, if you build your life on anything but Jesus, it's bound to fall apart. You're not strong enough to carry that weight. And ironically, Jesus will not cause storms in your life, but he will use the storms in your life to knock down the building so that you have an opportunity to reassess the foundation and build it back on him. Anybody ever experienced that in their life? I know I have. Jesus will not waste a situation. 
He will use it to bring you to a place where your feet are set on him again. What are you building your life on? Some of you, maybe it's your bank account. Maybe watching your 401k dollars stack up gives you a sense of confidence about the future. What if you, like many others, had your investments in Silicon Valley Bank this last week and overnight it goes to zero? Where's your faith then? Where's your confidence then? Maybe you have an unexpected expense come up and it drains your savings account. Now you have an opportunity to put your feet back on the cornerstone that is Jesus. And I think Jesus would say to you, my child, don't lean on the provision, trust in the provider. Maybe for some of you, your life is built upon your athletic ability. Maybe you're a student and you've got a career and you're really good at the sport you do. And so much so that people tell you you're good at it and your identity is somewhat mingled up in it. What happens, friend, if you tear your ACL? Or you pull your hamstring? Or you break a bone and you can't do your sport anymore? What happens is you will go, who even am I anymore? You have an opportunity now to set your feet back, not on yourself, but back on the cornerstone that is Christ. And I think Holy Spirit would say to you, friend, your life is not about chasing a ball. Your life is about chasing a creator. Some of you, maybe you've built your life upon your job. I know of multiple people in our church who have lost their job unexpectedly, literally within the last seven days. And they are living this out. They have an opportunity to check their feet and make sure that they are planted on the cornerstone that is Christ. What are you building your life on? Is your life built upon Jesus or your own abilities? For me, like I told you, I was five years old when I gave my life to Christ. And as you can imagine, I spent all of my life after that in church, raised in church. And if I am not careful, I can go on a sort of spiritual autopilot. I can just roll through the motions like I'm used to. I can say the right things because I've read the Bible forever and I went to Bible college. I might even be able to preach a message without prayer and it wouldn't be any good and it wouldn't be powerful, but I might be able to fool myself into thinking that I can do ministry on my own strength. And when that happens, I begin to lean more into my own abilities than into Holy Spirit. And when that happens, I've noticed in my personal life, I start to substitute and justify, like, my message prep. Oh, I spent time in the Bible all that time. I start to substitute that for my devotional life, my personal life with the Lord. And if I'm not careful, even I can look down and realize that I'm now standing on a foundation of my own abilities and not on Christ. I'm being as real and vulnerable with you as I know how to be this morning. So I got asked to go to this youth conference and it was an awesome time. It was so cool. But the Lord also used it to humble me and to make me check my foundation. You see, I was asked to do this conference a few months in advance, and I had a lot of things. And so the month before, I had blocked out all of these days to do message prep and for prayer. And yet, in that last month, it was like all of the storms of life converged and hit me at the same time. I mean, there was church stuff that came up that I was not expecting that shook me. There was sickness that took me out. There was stuff in my family. And it was just like all of those blockouts that I had in my calendar were just erased. 
And all of a sudden, I go from having months to be ready for this thing to I'm on an airplane with a laptop writing messages, and I have this word unshakable, and that sounded really good two months ago, but now it sounds like that's not enough for four messages. And I'm looking down at my foundation, and I'm realizing, there's no way I can do this in my own strength. This is too much. There's no way I can lean into my own abilities. And I begin to just cry out, Holy Spirit, I desperately need you. That was a very constant prayer. Holy Spirit, I desperately need you. I'll ask the worship team to come up and join me on stage, but I'm just crying out, Holy Spirit, I desperately need you. And as I'm praying and as I'm prepping, I'm just reminded deep in my spirit of the truth of Scripture that when I am weak, then Christ is strong. I'm reminded that throughout human history, God's been using empty vessels to do his work. And by the way, the emptier the better, because then it can only be God. And I begin to just somehow be filled up with this confidence again that God is going to move. And then God begins to just download these messages into me. It's so cool. And I preached the first two sessions. And there was really cool. God moved and students gave their lives to Christ. And it was awesome. But then we got to the third session. It was a night session. And this was the message that I was the most shaky on. Like, I mean, if I were ever to look down and be like, I got nothing, this is now. And I stayed up till 2 a.m. the night before prepping for it. And even in worship, before the message, I got my hands up and I'm crying out, Holy Spirit, I desperately need you. And then a junior in high school, her name's Olivia, walks up on stage during worship. She has a microphone and she says, I wrote this word called unshakable. It's a spoken word. And she powerfully begins to deliver this creative and eloquent and moving word. And now I'm thinking, God, I got to follow that. I'm going to get showed up by a junior in high school. Holy Spirit, I needed you before, but now I really need you, right? And I walk up on stage, and I'm not kidding, guys. I'm just so empty, like, God, do what only you can do. And the Lord literally gave me words to preach, and some of them were in my notes. And I looked down at the end of it, and it had been 50 minutes, and I know it was God because the middle schoolers were still paying attention. Some of you would already be off to lunch by then. 50 minutes, you're gone. But God was moving. And at the end of the message, we gave a call to ministry for any that God might be calling them to do ministry. And there were 14 students who stood up out of their seats and we prayed over them. And they, uh, being called to be a missionary or a pastor, it was so awesome. And I thought, God, that could have only been you. And I walked off the stage and I was praising God and I handed the MC the microphone. And he said, you're not done. It's the end of my notes. That's all I've got. He said, you're not done. And I knew what he meant. There's something that Holy Spirit still wants to do in our midst that we have not yet stepped into. And I felt it. I just didn't know what it was. And so he said to me, if you get something during this worship song, just pray and I'll have the mic. You can take it back for me. Okay, I got nothing. Like I, before, at least I had message notes. Now, literally nothing. So I'm praying, and the Lord stirs something in my spirit. And so I walk over to him, kind of with a smile on my face. I grab the microphone, go back up on stage, begin to exhort these students. It's this powerful moment. And then at some point as I'm speaking, these words come out of my mouth. Okay, now we're going to do two things, an easy thing and a hard thing. And right after I said them, I realized I didn't know what either of those things were. 
Holy Spirit, I desperately need you, right? What's the easy thing? And as I'm talking, I'm praying, and the Lord gives me the easy thing. And the altar's just filled up with students on their knees. God, what's the hard thing? And the Lord gives me the hard thing. And something broke in that room, and those students worshiped like they hadn't before, and it was a powerful, powerful moment. But the coolest part was afterwards, that student, Olivia, she came up to me and she said, I, uh, and her jaw dropped. And I said, Olivia, that was so cool. Like, that spoken word was powerful and you used exact phrases from the messages that I preached and you referenced exact scriptures. You must have been really paying attention. And she said, I, I wrote that spoken word two weeks ago. I said, you're telling me that I was so worried about what am I going to preach and you were giving the words to a junior before I even knew? Oh, it's like the foundation we're standing on is Christ and the Holy Spirit's speaking to his church. In that moment, I just so convicted, God, I'm done building your kingdom my way. I refuse to preach another message on my own strength. Refuse to preach another message without asking Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? Would you stand to your feet as we close? What are you building your life on? Are you standing on the solid rock that is Jesus or have you built your life on your own strength? Your finances, your relationship, your career, your popularity, fill in the blank. What if I were to ask you the question, who is Jesus to you? Would you have an answer? We're going to end, and I ask the team to sing this song, Build My Life. And it's a declaration of faith that I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I just want to ask you to be bold. If your heart's beating and the Lord's been speaking to you from this message and you just know deep down that you need to get back to a place where you're stripped back and you're standing only on the foundation that is Christ, can I just ask that in this moment, in this song, you come up to the altar and get on your knees and meet with Jesus who is here? Can I ask that you do that? If you don't have an answer to the question, who's Jesus to you, can I tell you he'll meet you right here? We're going to sing these words. And I'd ask that you'd come. Even right now, you can come. We're going to sing that chorus. Come on, team.